Dad, we should increase production to meet export demands. Hmm. Let's review our logistic insurance needs. We'll need more workers. Okay. Make sure they are fully covered. Also, it's time to launch into e-commerce. <laughs> Great move, son. Uh, let's prioritize cybersecurity. Are you ready to grow your business? Talk to us at Chubb Insurance about protection crafted for your business needs. Not just insured, Chubb insured. Visit chubb.com my. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. You're listening to Tech Talk and my name is Jeff Sandu and this is Fun Friday together with Matt Armitage from Culture Pop. And you know what? I really enjoyed last week's episode about chimeras. But for every cool episode about science, we have to put up with at least one episode about why our digital habits are wrong. Can you guess what kind of episode today will be? Yep, that's right. It's no science and it's no fun. So Matt, what are we doing wrong? Well, hey, Jeff, everything. Uh, the world is going to hell in a hygienic hand dryer or something, I don't know. Um, and we're the ones who are to blame. Um, first, there's all those people who vape. Now, the warmed vapor they're breathing out is melting glaciers. Uh, bees are creating chaos with their annoying pollination. And no one wants to buy my new sustainable food supplement made from concrete and brick dust. It is an incredibly fast weight gain treatment. Mixed with water, it also works like Imodium to plug you back up. We have to say this for legal reasons. None of this is true. Is it, Matt? That's right. It's all complete lies, apart from the bees. Um, but we do actually need their pollination. Uh, not having them would actually be the chaos. Um, I watched a report recently on parts of China where pollination is actually done by hand because of various animal and insect eradication programs during the Great Leap Forwards that decimated local uh, flora and fauna. So they actually have to pollinate all the plants by hand. But anyway, we're not here to talk about them. Uh, the bees, that is, not China. We're here to talk about us. Specifically, that campaign I started very unsuccessfully that advocates paying for our social media services. Don't tell me. You ran a little test, didn't you? I did. Um, now, I've been talking about this subject for a couple of years. The uh, need to change the way many tech companies fund their services, primarily the freemium option that we're used to. So I put up some social media posts along the lines of how much Facebook would make if it charged its users an average of uh, three US dollars per month versus what it makes from selling our data. And I wanted to see what kind of reactions that I would get from people. And what kind of sums are we talking about? Okay, before I go <laughs> into the details, ah. this is purely unscientific. <laughs> you know, this is back of a beer coaster at closing time <laughs> stuff. Um, but if you look at their last reported revenues and compare that to every Facebook user paying this average of $36 US dollars per year, then you get to a figure that is about $20 billion higher than their current revenues. Now, as I said, this is completely unscientific. <laughs> the methodology is very, very flawed. Uh, and there are probably millions of variables that I've ignored because A, I don't have the ability <laughs> and B, I'm a bit lazy. Um, but imagine the cost savings if you didn't need to employ all those data scientists and ad sales folks. And of course, all the systems 
that go with them. And this is your weird contortions theory. Well, yeah, that Facebook and other social media companies have to make all these complicated steps to generate money from their users. You know, rather than just taking the simple step of selling it to them for a flat fee and then leaving them alone, uh, which is why I liken social media and many other tech companies to dairy farms on a regular basis. You know, like the cows, we think those companies are there to look after us. But what they want is the same as what the farmer wants, and that's a steady stream of milk to sell on. Our needs are only important so far and as long as we keep producing that stream of data that can then be sold. Well, none of this is new grounds for MSP. Where are we going with it today? Well, as I said, I started talking about this a couple of years ago, and as we've mentioned on the show, people are very resilient. They simply don't want to pay. No one wants to pay. Well, that's one of the weird things. You know, how many things do we spend so much time using that are free? You know, our phones and our computers aren't free. Our internet connections aren't free. Food isn't free. Cars and bikes aren't free. Movies and games aren't free. So why do we expect all our online services to be free? From Facebook to Gmail to, to YouTube to search Everything we expect for nothing. WhatsApp? Well, WhatsApp wasn't free to begin with. Uh, it is now, at least on most platforms. Originally, I think it was free for one year and then one dollar yeah. thereafter. Yeah. You know, very small money, but it's a lot when you have billions of users. Should users in poor countries pay as much as those in richer countries? Well, that is a totally valid point. You know, of course, I was simplifying. <laughs> um, income inequalities have to be factored in. One of the reasons I took a reasonably low point, uh, three US dollars, is because it's the cost of a takeaway coffee in most developed nations. Finding price points for services is not an easy one, as we'll go into later, especially when you have to factor in, as you said, those regional income variations. It's why a lot of cloud-based services look pretty expensive to all of us here in Malaysia, mm. because we're multiplying those US dollar amounts by four. So yes, there is always a risk of penalizing or outpricing large chunks of your potential customer base. And why would you think that any of this has changed? Because I think the landscape of 2019 is quite different from where it was in 2016, 2017, which is where we first started this. It's not that we didn't know that our data was being used, was being sold. We just didn't have such a clear picture of how those data points and the intersections they make could actually be used. We didn't know what kind of picture they could be used to create and how that information could be cross-linked and follow you around. You mean contextual ads? Well, at one end, yeah. You know, those are weird enough, <laughs> stalking you from site to site and tab to tab. But at the other, I mean to actually physically follow you around. You know, we didn't realise at the time how easy it was to buy data that would determine where you'd been, what you'd been up to, how long you'd spent in a store, what you'd bought where you might have left your car, all of this incredibly detailed information that was being made commercially available via all the online and offline services we were using. You know, that's one of the reasons I'm very careful about loyalty cards. Everyone wants to push you to have a loyalty card. But why? Because that data is a commodity that's far more valuable than the free drink you eventually think that you're going to earn. And also because we're seeing a lot of these big data scandals now playing out in the open, in mm. public. Mm. I thought we'd come back around to Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. Well, that's it, isn't it? You know, knowing what we know now, um, especially after a lot of people have watched that documentary, The Great Hack, 
I wondered if people had changed their minds. And one of the weird things about that movie is that even though it talks about the action that government needs to take, it doesn't really talk about one of the simplest solutions, which is simply paying for the service. Mm. The thing we do numerous times every day in capitalist societies, which is transact and pay for stuff. And that's one of the things that got me wondering, you know, have we finally fallen out of love with all of this social media socialism? Have we? Well, I think this is one of the things I struggle with most. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, despite the distrust and mistrust, it's almost like an addiction. We know that the way we're consuming these services is unhealthy. We hate the fact that we're using these services or we feel hate the fact rather that we feel we have to use them. And we resent the people, the providers, we see as forcing us to use it. But rather than act unilaterally and reduce our consumption, we want some third party, presumably a government, to come in and regulate it all for us. Surely this is an area where governments should act. It is, and this leads us to that second fundamental disconnect, that by and large, politicians struggle to understand any of this technology. They don't understand how the companies work. They don't understand how the business model works. In fact, the freemium business model makes regulation of the sector even harder because you have to balance monetization of information with protecting that same information. So we stay stuck at these starting blocks. We don't even seem to be able to come up with a definition of privacy that everyone can agree on. And while that position continues, nothing changes. What do you make of the tech companies that say they would welcome a clearer picture from regulators and lawmakers? I think that's probably true, but that doesn't necessarily tip the scales back towards consumers and their rights. You know, one of the things we've touched on many times on the show is the digital land grab that has been a feature of the last 10 to 20 years, Mm. where we assume that what's in those user agreements and terms and conditions has some standing in law. But we shouldn't confuse normalisation with what is normal. You know, racism used to be the norm. Sexism used to be the norm. Homophobia used to be the norm. But they aren't normal. They're based on exclusion rather than inclusion. Now we have laws that tackle the worst abuses done in the name of sexism, racism and homophobia. And we have societies moving, albeit slowly and with a fair bit of backstepping, (laughs) to throw those views out of the mainstream. So there is a role for legislation? Yeah, of course. As I said, I think the big tech companies genuinely want clarity, but that doesn't mean that they're docile or the best actors. Mm. Like any powerful lobby, they will try and shape legislation that best suits their business needs. And that's where it gets interesting because they all have very different needs. Increasing privacy helps companies like Apple and Microsoft, which have models built around selling you stuff and mostly keeping your data, if not absolutely private, then at least in-house. Companies like Amazon and Netflix thrive on data, so they will want a landscape that allows their AI and algorithms to, to run. And at the other extreme, you have Alphabet, Google if you prefer, and Facebook and hundreds of other companies that are almost purely data funded and based. When we come back, uh, we'll finally see how or if our positions have changed in the post-great hack world. BFM 89.9 You're listening to Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. Beating fickle mindsets. BFM 89.9 The Business Station You're listening to Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. 
Welcome back. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu and this week on MSP, Matt is trying to take money out of your pocket and give it to Facebook. But does anyone agree with him? Yep. Don't sugarcoat it, <laughs> Jeff. Um, don't worry. I'm used to my ego taking a battering on this show. I wonder how many of you picked up your phones or turned to your screens during mm. that last break and earned some more money for whatever company whose pages you just viewed. Because that's what you're doing. The, that kitten video just took your taste preferences. And that video about immigrant invasions was most likely paid for by some shadowy and rich organization. Now, well, what did your informal poll of your followers tell you? And do you understand the irony of doing this using the same companies you're criticizing? Oh, the, the irony <laughs> is absolutely why I do it. Um, you know, the day I can't do that on these companies mm. will be the day that the scales have tipped over and everything will have moved away from us. I've already had the uh, the ads for some episodes of MSP rejected mm. because I've mentioned certain companies too liberally in the copy or the, the hashtags. Um, and I'll probably delete uh, the post that I put up before this show goes <laughs> out to uh, protect the not-so-innocent because no naming and shaming here. You really do think of people as your test subjects, don't you? I really don't know how to respond to that question at all. You know, um, life is a laboratory. It's not mine particularly. You know, we're all just harebrained chemists trying things out and doing our best not to blow the building up. Uh, anyway, the results of my straw polls would seem to indicate that, again, nothing has changed, that we are more likely to spend that $3 on a flat white than on services we use for maybe two or three hours a day, 365 days a year. Were you surprised? Yes, to an extent. I mean, I didn't expect a sea change of opinion. Mm. You know, once you give someone something that has this artifice of being free, it's very difficult to convince them to pay for it. No matter how much it's embedded into your life, um, how many of us have been asked by friends, sometimes even colleagues and acquaintances, if we want to share the password to our streaming services with them? Mm. Uh, I recently found out there's a buoyant dark market in passwords to services like Spotify. I mean, Uber and Grab hacking, I can understand. <laughs> but Spotify, you know, it seems like such low-hanging, low-value fruit. So you didn't see any evidence of a shift or softening of opinion? Well, there was a fair bit of uh, the you only need to pay if you have something to hide, hmm. um, which kind of misunderstands our role in a surveillance capitalism system. It's not so much about whether your behaviour is right or wrong. It's just that your behaviour is observed and remains observable and that way you remain open to behavioural nudging. Like the example you used of brainwave tech and the origination of memories. Good recall. That chip <laughs> I put in your head was worth sacrificing a $20 OEM smartwatch for. Um, yeah, let's not forget the, the same companies that are selling the results of our actions in the physical and digital worlds are now actively trying to get into our heads. If you think the current system is a nightmare, wait until someone uploads your dreams to a cloud and starts data mining those. And now you're just trying to scare people. Yes, I am deliberately because I'm trying to <laughs> remind people that the technology we have now isn't where it ends. Facebook in your head, Google owning and running residential developments. I haven't even mentioned Amazon because what the company could become just 
simply short circuits my brain. <laughs> you know, the way we experience and interact with these companies today is not the way we will be interacting and transacting with them in five or 10 years time. But the principles underpinning their business models will be the same. And they may have even been coded into law. Mm. You know, what about a subliminal newsfeed that helps you sleep and briefs you for the day to come? Or your car stopping and your journey interrupted so that you can watch a carefully selected ad by the side of the road. Uh, a McDonald's jingle playing in your ears every time you approach a Burger King. We have to remember that that future, the future that they want, doesn't have to be our future. And this is always the difficult part. How can we make the companies change? By giving them our money and <laughs> then threatening to withhold it. You know, that's generally how consumers hold companies to account. And in this age of shareholder activism, it is a remarkably effective one. You know, one of the people who responded to my posts made the point that we can let business users, big brands, take up the slack. And there is something to that, but I don't think it would be enough. Just like it wasn't enough to dump ads into your feed, there aren't enough brands and advertising money to make it viable. More than that, paying is how we assert our expectations. Money is a control mechanism. When I buy something and it's faulty, generally speaking, I'm entitled to refund or exchange it. If a service isn't giving me what I want, I terminate it. And I'm aware of what that service is worth to me, the utility I derive from using it. Paying is still only half of the story, though, is it? Yeah, of course. Um, I thank another commenter for saying that paying assumes that a company mm. won't sell your data or behave as they do now if you pay them. They would probably want to do both wherever possible. And I agree. Uh, and that's where the lawmakers come in. Laws to make selling our data so difficult and subject to penalty that they become the guardians of our privacy rather than the exploiters of it. In a sense, that was the original vision of a lot of the sharing services. It was the users deciding what information was public and what was private. Just like I can do with my music streaming service, I can decide to let people know when I'm listening to cool tunes and hide my feed when I'm listening to power ballads. Don't lie, there's no way you listen to power ballads. Fine, I'm trying to make myself seem approachable in a way that listening to Philip Glass and Johan Johansson just doesn't. Um, but that's what I would like to see from lawmakers. One of the most jarring cases in the Great Hack documentary is the US academic David Carroll's quest to find out what data Cambridge Analytica held on him and his utter inability to find any legal way to have that information released. So if anyone says to me, what do you have to fear? Well, you have to fear that private companies can amass tens of thousands of pieces of information about you, your life, your habits, your tastes, and they're under no obligation to share that information, which is your information. They have no obligation to share that information with you, yet they're free to sell it to pretty much anyone they choose. That is a really chilling outcome of the freemium model that a lot of us are clinging to. You've said on previous shows that charging users might even make life easier for the tech companies. For sure. Um, I mean, I know some companies would probably go out of business, but that's simply capitalism. We have this weird inversion. When you pay for a service, let's say it's a gym membership, the provider wants to collect your dues and encourage you to use the service as little as possible because that reduces their overhead and operating costs and maximizes profits. The freemium model does the opposite. The services are reliant 
on you using them in ever-increasing quantities. The more you use them, the more data you generate, and the more money the company can turn around. And so the harder they have to try and capture and retain your attention. And we believe that this is the business model tech companies have chosen. Precisely, which is uh, what another respondent mentioned. Mm. But this isn't their business model. It's the one we chose for them. This weird contortion is because of what we wanted. The early days of the internet were much more straightforward. You paid for something, whether it was AOL or music downloads, although maybe that last one wasn't the greatest example. <laughs> um, but in the late 1990s and early noughties, there weren't enough of us online globally to sustain all the glittering market cap companies that thought they were heading for IPO. Even Amazon struggled for its first decade or probably even longer. So companies looked at every possible model to stay afloat. And the user-free, ad-supported model was an instant success. The idea of the long tail? Yeah, that the digital world could be free for everyone, funded by brands and companies through advertising. The idea of the long tail, getting seats on airplanes for nothing if you watched ads throughout the journey, it just wasn't realistic or sustainable. Advertisers weren't getting the returns and there wasn't enough advertising to go around and keep all of those companies moving. So, of course, they went into survival mode. And what did they find they had a lot of? Data. Mm. And not many rules governing how they used it or what they did with it. Would you like to see a world without social media, Matt? No, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, it has an awful lot going uh, for it. Mm. It brings people together. Um, I like the idea of sharing information. Mm -hmm. I like the fact it makes information cheap and accessible. Uh, you can use it to call the powerful to account. It can help us to feel worthwhile and validated. And of course, it is fun. <laughs> uh, it's not without its dark side, but that's where the lawmakers come in. Not to mention, you know, you always have to accept a certain amount of shade in order to enjoy the daylight. Do you think people's mood will have changed in another couple of years and that they will be more willing to pay? That one, I, I really, I genuinely don't know. Mm. Uh, all I really know is that this is the model that we chose for the internet and the tech companies that we use. And if it's a model we chose, then we can unchoose it. We can <laughs> demand something else. Uh, but as I said earlier in the show, it is something that we have to do soon because there is a risk that companies that started off as data squatters will end up being data owners with their rights enshrined in law above and beyond our rights. And that's essentially the won't pay paradox. You know, if you look at the information about you as being an extension of your personality and your identity, then you have to confront this weird idea that private companies own a part of you, a part of you that you have no right to see, let alone ever get back. Well, I guess you're right. The welcome to the won't pay paradox. I like that. It has a ring to it. But, you know, it's it, that shouldn't be the case. Hopefully, perceptions will change in the future. But I'm with you. No idea what's going to happen. Who knows? Uh, we'll be right back with Geek Squawks after this, BFM 89.9. Tech Talk, made possible by TM1. To learn more, visit tm1.com.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.